a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The reason is because you don't have the sacraments. See? Yeah. I mean, once you don't have the sacraments, then basically everybody's a pastor. Because that's what a pastor is, a guy that's there to preach the gospel and minister the sacraments. Once the sacraments cease to mean anything in your theological construct, then ministry becomes something different than the giving out of God's gift of forgiveness. The reason why we go to church is not to hear about how we have to go out and, and be missionalists. The reason we go to church is to get the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Jesus instituted the church. And I think that's the point. See, when a pastor considers this option of, hmm, maybe I'll substitute these parts of the liturgy. Maybe. The, maybe. the question before him should not be, will it win more people over? The question before them should be, would this deliver Christ in a better way than it already does? And the parts of the liturgy are direct quotes from Holy Scripture. And I don't think that you can improve upon the delivery of Christ uh, from them. I mean, just imagine the next radical that shall be even more radical. This will be the book that I'm going to write. Even more uh, radical. What part of cutting off your hand is unclear in the Bible? <laughs> if you still have two hands, you show yourself to be a false disciple of Jesus. <laughs> Leading the way in true discipleship, this is Table Talk Radio. What? Why is that funny? I just wasn't expecting it. This is a kind of missional slogan. Hey, don't give away the theme of the next wiki conference. Oh, sorry. Is that it? Is that the theme of the next wiki conference? Yeah, subtitled, Churching the Churchy Church. <laughs> now I know you're being serious. Oh, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah, so today, this is our lineup. So do our normal thing of buzzwords and emails. Yep. And then we're going to do a little kick the dog and comfort the child. And then we're going to do a little tick ramps in the news. That's my favorite, too. Those are my fav all my favorite things. All your favorite These things. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> buzzwords and email and kick dog and comfort child. <laughs> Ten commandments in the news, and then we'll be done for a while. <laughs> okay, so first things first. We need to do a little uh, buzzword. So why don't you go first, Pastor? Wolf? My buzzword for you is wisdom. Now, I would like to take this opportunity to tell our listeners about a new project that I'm doing. <laughs> oh, is this this week's project? Yeah, this week's project is uh, those guys over at Worldview Everlasting, my buddy Jonathan Fisk uh, and at all. I sent him a little... Uh, video that I made the other day, basically just a video camera looking at my desk while I, I did some work on Proverbs, and they said, it's a show. We're going to post it in five minutes. So anyway, we started a new weekly video blog called Grappling with the Text that if you're into the YouTube scene, you can see there on Worldview Everlasting, uh, and we kind of study through Proverbs. Now, that reminds me of this week's buzzword, which is wisdom, uh, and wisdom now wisdom is a is a really interesting concept because we normally think of it having to do chiefly with the mind you know how you think knowledge yes knowledge uh but it, remember how he uh, proverbs tells us that the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom so that wisdom finds its really its center not in our mind but in our heart i mean fearing the lord is not something that you have to have on a high iq to do so that wisdom is, in fact, knowing 
that our life intersects with the Ten Commandments and with God's promises and following that. So, so letting the Ten Commandments and God's promises have its way with us. So really, when it comes down to it, wisdom is repentance. Hmm. Mm. I've never heard that before. What? Are you making this up? No. That's pretty good. Who, who has said that before you? Uh, Solomon. <laughs> that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, you want to know what the fear, of the, uh, what the first part of repentance is? Yeah, contrition. You know, want to know what the second part of repentance is? Yeah, faith. So, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the faith third part? in the Lord is the beginning. Well, I'll tell you. So, so remember, <laughs> this is fantastic. So, the first commandment is we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, which really means that we fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. We trust in the Lord. That's the heart of wisdom. We love the Lord and our neighbor. That's the fruit of of wisdom. So, the fear, love, and trust in God, uh, the keeping the first commandment, is the life of wisdom, which is repentance and its fruit. Do you see how it all fits together? I do. My theological buzzword for you is the fall. And then we're talking about the fall. We're talking about... Should I write it down, the fall question mark, like you said it? The fall? I didn't say it like that. The fall. Anyway. It started last week. No. The cold weather season. No. No. This is the event in which Adam and Eve... (laughs) Sorry. uh, (laughs) Disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, which uh, is a transgression, which... uh, through humanity, because of because everyone who's born after Adam and Eve are in the likeness of Adam and Eve, meaning they inherit uh, such sin from Adam and Eve. So um, now all human beings are uh, born as enemies of God, as objects of God's wrath, and children of the devil. Objects of God's wrath? <laughs> children of the devil? devil <laughs> and you wonder why i'm looking for a new co-host remember about that show that they used to play in whose line is it anyway where everything had to be a question we should do that one day <laughs> it would be hilarious <laughs> wouldn't it <laughs> see what i did yeah okay no <laughs> <laughs> are you ready for the next email i'm not oh man that's that's harder than it looks or sounds is it? Is Because it... <laughs> how are you supposed to respond to that? Are you? <laughs> I suppose. Do you have one there? Uh, do you think I do? <laughs> I'm never quite sure until I ask. Oh, wait, that's a Tell me what Dang you it. think about this email. <laughs> yeah, you're bad at this game. Hi, Evan. Wait a minute. Wait. I feel I'm totally left out of this email. Good. Hi, Evan. Firstly, congratulations on the engagement. Thank you. Mend this and say on the marriage, on the right of holy matrimony. I'm sure you'll get inundated with emails on this one, but I was listening recently to the very old episode. Show me the song about getting high, glorious song, (laughs) something like that. And then was listening to your latest episode where you repeated the exact same crunch (laughs) on glorious day casting crowns. Uh, apparently, we we crunched the same song twice, and luckily for us, uh, we crunched it the same. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. Uh, this listener can, uh, just continues. At least the second time around, Brian picked up on the hymn-like qualities of the lyric. It is the hymn one day redone to new music, which we've noted that a couple of times. Even though the lyrics of the song are excellent, it still drives me nuts. 
I used to uh, to run sound at a Baptocostal church where this one was repeated so many times and used heavily in the emotional cycle of songs during the service, as Brian was speaking about on the other Lutheran radio show recently. What was that? Fighting for the Faith? What was I on? Anyway, uh, so even once you cut out the mystical songs, there is still a question of identifying when a sequence of songs is used to create an emotional impact. I've noticed that changes in tempo, volume, and style are commonly included in this process. The first songs would start loud, fast, and with that annoying Christian rock style that sounds the same, then progress to slower, more mellow tunes before the sermon. It's almost like the unofficial liturgy of the evangelical churches. I'm not sure if there's any way of including the musical style in the praise song cruncher and comments of where and how the song being crunched might be used in an evangelical church to affect emotions. Sorry about the long email. Keep up the mediocrity. You're Australian listener. Oh, no, Australian. All right, let me start over at the beginning. I'm supposed to read this. No, no, no. Oh, Evan. Firstly, congratulations on the engagement. By the way, this person says, P.S., Brian's Australian accent is truly terrible. (laughs) I'm going to read that line in Australian. Are you ready? (laughs) P.S. Brian's Australian accent is truly terrible. Okay. Now we we got that out of the way. Um, This reminds me, that's the thing that the, the Australian emailer writes, reminds me of, I think it was, in fact, I just looked it up. It's show number 77, which we had on our show then vicar uh brian bucklew who's now a pastor the and australian vicar no 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 it's to get off of australia um pastor i like australia pastor bucklew uh then vicar told us about when he was in the praise band scene and uh he they called it like in the outer courts song uh outer what outer courts song and then there'd be like the holy of holy song so the outer court song were the ones that were at beat, kind of get the people jazzed, and then when uh, as the as the service went on, the one like right before the sermon, uh, or maybe even the one that was at the conclusion of the sermon, where the band comes back up, you know, that's like the holy of holy song. So there is definitely a progression in the the praise songs to emotionally manipulate the person the the person there for the worship service so that that's you, right your emotions get high and and all frazzled at the fast song and then uh brought to a a low to the slow songs yeah kind of like right. you're I mean, DJing at my days. wedding <laughs> yeah we started out slow table music <laughs> then we ramped it up now i've been since that been paying attention more closely to radio djs at weddings because we still have the offer out there to both perform and do the DJing of the first couple <laughs> to meet in our Table Talk Radio dating service. So I've been a, a close <laughs> and careful student of the radio DJing, and they do a similar sort of thing. In fact, what they normally do is they start out uh, with the oldies, uh, like the country dancing and stuff to get all the old folks out. And then by the time Grandma and Grandpa have gone home, you're in the full-on electronic dance music. Uh-huh. How's that dating service going, by the way? So far, so good, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, when we get back from this commercial break, we are going to play Kick the Dog, Comfort the Child. Which one is Pastor Wolf they're going to do? We'll be right back to find out. You're on Table Talk Radio. That was a question. Question? Table Talk Radio? (laughs) 
Table Talk Radio, where theology meets immaturity. Is that an Easter That's an outer court song right there. <laughs> that one gets you. Gets you can, we, can we figure out how to incorporate where this goes in the get you psyched up, get you revved up, get you emotionally hooked cycle into the praise song culture? I don't know if we can actually do that. I don't know how that would be how that would work. But the way uh, Kick the Dog Come for the Child works is... Oh, we're on to that now already? Yeah. We're moving, man. Uh, so someone brings brings an issue, and there's one of two ways to respond to it. I think this comes from Luther. Pastor Wolf never would know about that. I know all about Luther. Yeah. And uh, so you can either uh, come at it like a jerk, or you can come at it pastorally. <laughs> and uh, why don't you explain the difference, Pastor Wolf? <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah, what is the difference between being a jerk and being normal? I, that is a blurred <laughs> distinction to me. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What I want to say about that is um, th- that uh, Luther makes this distinction. This is in his Galatians commentary, uh, How to Deal with False Teachers. And he says, you've got to make a distinction between the falsely taught and the false teacher. And the false teacher you treat like, so you have the picture of the dog biting the child. And you treat that it's it's all the same dog bite, but you treat the dog very differently than you treat the child. Uh, so, for example, you don't kick the child, you kick the dog. And you don't console the dog, you console the child. And so Luther says you got to make that distinction with dealing with false doctrine. Now, the uh, when there's someone that should know better and they're sitting there teaching the false doctrine, you gotta you got to act harshly. And this has to do especially with public false teaching. On the other hand, if there's someone who's been confused or deluded or deceived by a false teaching, we want to act, um, we want to uh, act with compassion and patience and try to comfort that person as we draw them out of the danger of the of the false doctrine. So, so that's the picture. Now, so that what that means is um, uh, we have a, a reaction. Hold on, I'm about to sneeze. You take it for a minute. Uh, chew. <laughs> We have the reaction. Thank you. Good stall. Oh, well you, I thought you wanted me to take the sneeze. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> we normally have the reaction uh, either to kick the Some of us, you know, want to just kick the dog. You hear a false teaching and you just, rah, you know, you get after it. Uh, other people have the reaction to always want to be consoling, even when it uh, needs a little bit of harshness. But we want to be able to, to to do both, to judge the situation. And especially when we're dealing with our friends and family, especially when we're not dealing with public teachers, we want to be as consoling as possible. Now, I think we invented this game because mostly around here we're kicking the dogs. Because mostly oh, yeah. around here on this radio show, uh, if we kickers. actually ever get around to doing anything, we're talking about public false teaching. But when you deal with someone privately who might be confused uh, about a doctrine, we want to be able to make that distinction and deal with them in gentleness. Right. See the difference? Yes, I do. Does it okay. make sense? So, oh, yeah, I got it. So um, this, was, this was our game to try and 
be a little nicer on the radio, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. At least to, to demonstrate how it would be if there were nice people being nice. Okay, okay. Now, so um, part of this comes, uh, who? I mean, who is speaking? So in the scenario I have for you, we'll actually have to change the speaker. But um, do you want to kick the dog or do you want to comfort the child? Either one. I'm happy doing either one. You're pretty good at kicking the dog. Okay, I'll so, kick the dog. So the preacher is standing up there and saying, uh, Jesus has died for you. And if you want to be forgiven, then you need to come down to the front where we have an altar and repeat this prayer right after me and say, uh, Lord, I've sinned. Will you forgive me? Now, if you've prayed that prayer with me, why don't you go and just raise your hand right now so I can see who you are. So I can oh, keep my own stats here. Okay, thank you. I'll be praying for you. Okay, now go. <laughs> you sound like you've done that before. Was that from your sermon this Sunday? <laughs> now, look, this is the theology of the altar call. Uh, it comes from a decision theology, which has two incredibly wicked uh, problems. The first is it diminishes the glory of God. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm your savior from sin and from death and from the devil. I'm the one who does it all. Jesus is the one who says on the cross, it's finished. He, he is the one who wants to, to be the alpha and the omega and to have all glory for our salvation. And now this teacher, by making salvation won by Jesus only a possibility to be activated by our own decision, has stolen the title of savior from Jesus and put it on the head of the sinner. And said, no, no, if you want to be saved, it's up to you, not up to Jesus. So now it's not Jesus that's the Savior or Jesus that's the Lord, but rather the sinner is their own Savior by an act of their will. And so they've stolen the glory that belongs to Jesus. And on the other hand, they've stolen away all the comfort that belongs to the sinner. I mean, I am a sinner. No that I'm not trustworthy in anything that I've done. And especially when it comes to spiritual things, I know that my will is weak, that my resolve is paltry. And now you're saying that my salvation depends on an earnest act of my own will that steals away the comfort because how do I know if I've done it right, if I've accepted Jesus right, if I've given him my heart right, if I've prayed the right prayer, if I've done it enough, if I've done it sincerely, if I've done it completely. I don't is the answer. And so not only have you stolen the glory away from Jesus, you've stolen the comfort away from sinners, making salvation a work that I've done and not the work that Jesus does. We can trust Jesus, but we cannot trust ourselves. And this uh, this idea of the decision, making the decision for Christ in the altar call, flips that all on its head. Wow. So and it goes against the Bible, by the way. So when are you going to kick the dog? <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Take that dog. Oh, uh, that's why we had you kick the dog. You are a far better jerk than I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now you need to flip it around because okay, uh, now for you, does, is it the, uh, or do you want me to? You got a comfort, right? So now, what if you have? If someone comes up to you and they say, uh, "You know, Pastor, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to a, a rally and I gave my life to Christ, and the guy invited us forward, and I came down, and my life has been different ever since that point." I've been reading the Bible, I've been trying to go to church, and I haven't been perfect, but I've been trying. And I put it all back on that moment when that guy came and invited me forward to accept Christ into my heart. Go. All right, Brian. Uh, <laughs> your God is much more gracious than you think. <laughs> because uh, the Lord Jesus uh, forgave you of all of your sins, the sins you committed 
today, the sins you committed yesterday, the sins you'll commit tomorrow, and all the sins you committed up even before two years ago was forgiven when he died on the cross. That's when your sins were forgiven. Uh, if you have heard the, the message of the gospel and believe it, then there you know that you're going to heaven whether you said a prayer or not. And so take, take comfort in the work that God has done and give him complete credit. Uh, for to hear of the, the glorious message of the cross and uh, to, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is not to your credit but to God's alone, and give all give all glory and praise to Him. Yeah, how's nice. that? Yeah, that's great. Okay, so uh, your turn to think of a think of a item for discussion on oh, keep really? the dog comfort the child. But that's how that works. Sure. Huh. You think I'm just gonna come up with all of them for you? Yeah. Okay. Um, have what have we, have we done? Baby baptism before in this game? I can't remember. Let's do it again. All right. Uh, uh, oh, you've so here's the preacher says, uh, uh, there's some people that think that they can baptize babies, but that's superstitious magic. Uh, you can't be saved apart from faith, and that's why we know that you can only baptize adults. Amen. <laughs> I get it. So, you think God's word is magic, like when he said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, magic. <laughs> Or when Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Magic. <laughs> or, nice. or, when, or when the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy over a bunch of dry, dry, dead bones, he does, and they come to life and form an army, and that is magic. <laughs> well, it's, it isn't magic if it's the, the power of the Lord through his word acting and uh, that he gives promises and that God actually fulfills his promise. Uh, it, g- the Lord is not interested in magic. He's just interested in, in keeping his promises. And it just so happens that he also promises that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He also promises that baptism now saves you, that uh, be baptized for the forgiveness of all of your sins. So if uh, if if the, the Lord promises it, it is true and it is done. So can we trust that baptism saves? Yes, not because it's divisive against against faith, but because it delivers the faith that saves. It it clings to Jesus. It clings to the forgiveness of sins. It clings to him uh, who died for all of our sins. So baptism is a promise of God that can be trusted, uh, and, and it is given to all those who believe this this very promise. Nice. Okay, so we're going to take a break. You're going to get a little time Whoa. to prepare, and you're comforting the child. All right. And you haven't done that in a while. So, <laughs> in fact, I'm not even sure you've ever comforted the child in this game. Now that I think about it, I'm not even sure you can comfort the child. <laughs> this is escalating. You quit kicking me, man. What am I, the dog here? All right, we'll be back. More Table Talk Radio. During this break, check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. WorldviewEverlasting.com. Uh, you can visit that. And... Hey. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> You're promoting other websites during our radio program? Anyway, you can check that out. There's What Does This Mean If You Want to Be Self-Promoting, Pastor Wolf Miller. We'll be right back. Don't go away. The radio show is just a 
Real Talk Radio. After a while, you just get used to it. Drag me down my Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We hey, are I kind of like that song. Is that a praise song? Like, no. I, did you hear the theology? With your love, nobody can drag me down. Nobody, nobody. Nope. Bow, nah, bow, it's not bow. a praise song. But if well. it was, it would probably be one of these entering the from the outer court to the inner <laughs> You're court. You're still on that thing? <laughs> All right, Pastor Wolfman. So someone comes up to you and says... Um, you know, maybe a young couple uh, with a, n- a new baby, and says, um, "Pastor, um, I know, I know you've been talking to us about getting our new baby baptized, but um, we we just think that we want to let it grow up and and be able to make that uh, decision, that choice for itself, so we don't force anything upon him." Oh yeah, well, this is um, uh, th- this is a, in fact a more common thing than you would think, where parents want to kind of let their kids be like raised by the theological wolves. (laughs) So there's a couple of things to say there. The first is that um, a lot, most of the people who deny um, baptism to babies are also deny faith to babies. And this is simply impossible uh, because Jesus talks about, for example, having the faith as a little child or uh, those who cause one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble. It'd be better if a, if a donkey grinding stone was tied around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Uh, that's the ancient version of the concrete sandals, you know, you know that you get my mafia overtones there mm. now. So, uh, so we know, first of all, that babies can, can, and do believe the second thing is that people who don't want ba- uh, babies to be baptized is that they say that the Bible never talks about baby baptism, but that's also not true. Uh, when Jesus says to go baptize uh, the, and make disciples, he doesn't say baptize everyone over 12. He says, baptize all nations. Uh, and babies are certainly included in the all nations, especially we see this in uh, in Pentecost with Acts chapter two, where Peter says, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you for this. Uh, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who were far off so that the promise of baptism and the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit is also for the children. Now, um, uh, f- finally, the idea that we want to let our children grow up to um, to decide these things on their own is is just not how the Lord wants us to be parents. I mean, for example, we wouldn't we wouldn't wait to give our children food until they could cook for themselves. No, we feed them and teach them to cook. Uh, we don't not clothe our children until they can choose their own clothes or get dressed by themselves. We clothe them and we teach them to put on clothes. We, we don't, uh, you know, not uh, t- let the children uh, teach the children to read and put books in their hands until they can read for themselves. No, we teach them to read. We read to them. We teach them to read. And then we put books in their hands. And this is the same thing uh, with learning the uh, the scriptures so that Paul's or so that uh, Moses says, for example, Deuteronomy six, he says, teach these things to your children so that as we hand on the gifts that the Lord wants to give to the children, um, we don't abandon them or let them kind of be raised by the wolves. They, they will be taught theology from every corner of the world. And this is our duty as parents to, to not only teach them, but to bring them to church and to avail them of all of the gifts that the Lord has to give to them uh, at the due time and due season. Nice. 
Okay, so um, let's do one more round of this game we call All right. Kick the Dog, Comfort the Child. And I have one for you. Uh, you are at a unnamed district's convention, and there's a resolution <laughs> on the floor that is entitled to encourage participation in the Lord's Supper. And it says, whereas... Our Lord Jesus did not require affiliation with a church body in order to partake in the Lord's Supper. Oh, Lord have mercy. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, be it resolved, <laughs> we, we encourage participation in the Lord's Supper. Go. I'll, I'll tell you, if I'm Jesus, uh, or if I have Jesus presiding at the Lord's Supper, I'm not going to worry about who comes in or out either. <laughs> <laughs> if you have Jesus handing out the Lord's Supper at your church instead of the pastor, then you don't have to worry about a communion statement. He's going to take care of it. Yeah, yeah. He'll deny who he have wants. Mercy. <laughs> now it just so happens that Paul says uh, that when he when he's calling us and inviting the pastors to be faithful stewards of the mystery, that he says if you mess this thing up, if you if you overlook doctrinal and theological disputes in the Lord's Supper, you actually don't have the Lord's Supper anymore. I'm looking at the text here. Uh, that's a t- First Corinthians chapter ten it says, uh, "What am I saying?" I'm looking at verse nineteen, and I'm just going to read. Oh yeah, let me back up to verse eighteen. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? That is such a, a fellowshippers or sharers is the word koinonias of the altar. So that when you eat of the sacrifice that was offered to idols, you become in you 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 are in fellowship with the with the altar of the idol. Now that's the theology that's behind communion fellowship. That you when you go and and eat from an altar, you are binding yourself to that altar. Verse 19. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or that whatever is offered to idols is anything? Rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or what, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Do you see this? So whatever we, um, uh, 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 whenever we come to the altar, we're binding ourselves to the doctrine of the altar. Now imagine it like this. Imagine that you're up there preaching and you say, hey, you know what? I, I think that, um, oh, I don't know. Let me think of something absolutely ridiculous. Uh, uh, but, but also absurd. Um, let's, let's say, let's say you, you preach something like this. I think that all women should have to live below the Mason Dixon line. Something crazy. That's like ridiculous that. and absurd. Now, now all, uh, all you guys uh, come and commune. Well, we'd say, no, I'm not going to come and have fellowship with that craziness. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to put myself in fellowship with that teaching. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Now, the, the person who puts this resolution forth would say, now, look, at Paul was talking about not having fellowship with the pagan gods and, uh, and, the Christ- and the Christian truth. He wasn't talking about these distinctions in the Christian church. Oh, yeah? Well, why did he write this letter to the church? I mean, <laughs> all of these theological distinctions that Paul is talking about, all of these theological errors are errors that are in the church. And he says, because you have these errors and because you uh, are not doing this, uh, you are not making this distinction between what is true and what is false. You've lost the Lord's Supper. It's here. Here I'm going to read now in chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together together. Not for the better, but for the worse. 
For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it, for there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Did you hear that? So that in, so that in Corinth, because they had these theological divisions and they were not coming together in one mind, that is in one confession, that they had actually lost the Lord's Supper. So if you want to practice open communion, that is communion without reference to doctrinal truth and unity, then what you end up doing is taking the Lord's Supper away from everybody. I mean, that's what that's what the what the scripture says there. So if you want to go ahead and remove the Lord's body and blood and the blessing of forgiveness that Jesus has for his church and the Lord's Supper, then go ahead. Ignore the theological distinctions. But if you want to have the Lord's Supper like he gave to the church, then you better pay attention to the words of the scripture where Paul says, for example, note anyone who causes divisions within you and avoid them. Woo. Boy, talking about kicking the dog. All right, well done, 200 points or whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> all right, so you have I mean, to this post- is important stuff, <laughs> by the way. Go ahead. All right, I'm done, I'm done. Okay, here's the question <laughs> for you. Hey, uh, hey, Pastor, my aunt's visiting, and she's in the ELCA. Can she come to communion? Uh, <laughs> does she? Why don't you have your <laughs> aunt call me? <laughs> Let's, uh, let's just talk to Auntie. <laughs> um, it's okay, always so, the ELCA aunt. How come everybody has ants in the ELCA? That's what I want to know. <laughs> How come nobody's ants are Missouri Synod? Dear all the ants out there, why are you in the ELCA again? You know what? I Oh, this ELCA. Oh, oh save it for the next segment we're going to do. Save your hurrah in the ELCA. So um, I tell this member of mine that wants to bring her aunt and say, well... Um, when we partake in the Lord's Supper together, we are expressing that we are one in doctrine, that we all believe the same thing. So that uh, when you come and kneel at the altar and you partake of this this body and blood of Christ, you're saying that we believe the same thing together, and our our doctrine is altogether the same. And uh, if your aunt is a part of a church body that um, uh, confesses that they it's okay for openly homosexual unrepentant um people to be pastors and members of the church it's okay for women to be pastors it's so it's okay to be in communion with the methodists <laughs> uh then um then would she be confessing the same thing that we do when we come to this altar and and the answer is no so um the the the, the best thing for us to do would be to uh to to confess the truth in communing together in this one body and blood partaking. And uh, if if your aunt is interested in, in making that confession, then I would love nothing more to, to talk with her more and uh, and to go over these points of difference so that uh, she might uh, learn from the scriptures and confess the same thing that we do so we can come all together in one confession and partake together of Christ's body and blood. But until then, uh, she should probably just partake of the body and blood at her own congregation good okay so when we come back from this break we're going to be playing oh yeah 200 points or something 10, <laughs> 10 commandments in the news more about the elca the evangelical lutheran church in america right after this how about this headline lesbian bishop removes crosses from church that's a cliffhanger
Table Talk Radio, a radio show that gives the opportunity to cope with disappointment week after week. <laughs> That's getting closer to the Holy of Holies. You're getting to the higher levels of God's love. <laughs> You're still talking about that. I forgot, man. I can't remember the front of the show to the end. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in Tick Maps of the News, what we do is we look at a news item and then we try to discuss uh, what of the Ten Commandments is involved in the story. And we're not necessarily looking for a breaking of the commandments, but you know, if a, if a story is talking about uh, government. We're going to talk about the fourth commandment because the fourth commandment talks about how we should uh, fear and love God so we not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, including governments. Uh, or if there's a news story that it deals with um, a marriage, we're going to talk about the sixth commandment, that you shall not commit adultery. And what this does is it kind of gets us thinking in terms of the Ten Commandments that the uh, Ten Commandments is what orders our life in the world around us, and that's the point of the game. So... Yep. Uh, Pastor Wolfman has a couple of uh, articles he's chomping at the bit to get at. What's Good your first heavens. one there? This is the, here's the t- uh, lesbian bishop semicolon remove crosses from church. Ooh, sheesh. Dateline Stockholm. Bishop Eva Brun is quote married unquote to a fellow <laughs> priest and is the world's first openly lesbian bishop within a mainline Christian denomination. The world's first lesbian bishop of a mainstream Christian denomination has put forth a call for one of the country's seaport churches to remove its crosses as to make it less offensive to Muslims. I don't know how many how many <laughs> things can be wrong in one sentence. Bishop Eva Bruna of the Lutheran Church of Sweden has proposed to remove the Christian symbols of the Siemens Church in Freeport to make it more inviting for visiting sailors from other religions. According to a report by SVT, a Stockholm-based news outlet, her plan calls for removing crosses and other Christian symbols while setting up a prayer room inside a church that marks the direction of Mecca. Oh, my goodness. The idea is to have rooms within the church that cater to people of other religions, thereby accommodating Muslim visitors. It would also make the church less offensive to the tens of thousands of Muslims entering Sweden from the Middle East and North Africa as refugees. We have a closet for the Satanists where they can kill their cats, too, added, <laughs> added radio commenter Brian Wolfmuther. <laughs> Making a room available for people of other faiths does not mean that we are not defenders of our own faith. No. No way. This is a quote, apparently. Priests are called to proclaim Christ. We do that every day and in every meeting with people, end quote, according to Brunna. Quote, that does not mean that we're stingy towards people of other faiths, end quote. <laughs> yeah, we're not stingy. We just provide them a place to pray to, towards Mecca. What the heck is this? This is you just know, disastrous. You know, like all the time Jesus said, make sure you're not offensive to other people. Lesbian bishops taking down the crosses. We should play a game called Find Anything That's Right in this article. <laughs> This is crazy. It's like, uh, knowing there's going to be a lot of sailors, we're going to provide prostitutes for them as well. <laughs> no, we're not. Ag- yeah. <laughs> like they, they preach against this commandment, but we're not stingy about it either. <laughs> yeah, I know. We found that many of the sailors are heterosexual. 
but we want to be open to all their sexual desires in our providing of prostitution. For heaven's sakes, how bad can something get? This is like the world crumbling. This is, doesn't even seem real. Are you going to read this Robert Spencer quote? Uh, where is it? What does it say? Uh, Robert, Robert Spencer, Spencer yeah. an Islam expert and blogger at Jihad Watch, said, this is what a society and culture in the midst of suicide looks like. <laughs> Okay. How wonderful and generous and ecumenical and multi- multicultural this is, Spencer wrote. <laughs> he suggested that imams in Stockholm and across Europe are likely laughing at the ease with which Christians are willing to surrender to Islam. Watch for mosques everywhere to, ru- to remove their mizrabs and install crosses so that Christians will feel comfortable praying there, Spencer said, <laughs> with biting sarcasm. I didn't pick up on that. Nope. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of guy, my though. <laughs> I know. This is just a, okay. So okay. So there's the story. There's the news. Now we ten commandment this sucker. Okay. So um, we are definitely dealing with a first commandment issue that is, you shall have no other gods. So here's the thing. Uh, Jesus says, if uh, you reject me, you reject the one who sent me, who is God the Father. Now, do you have any idea, Pastor Wolfner, what the Quran says about Jesus? Uh, something about how he's a true pro- yes. prophet or something like that? Or I, no? I, uh, no? Yes, he is a true prophet, okay. and he was born of the Virgin Mary. Okay, okay. Uh, but Son that he's God? not God. No. no, no, he's not God. And also, he, by the way, wasn't crucified. Oh, okay. So uh, it, it, it is for Islam. Imagine this. It's below the dignity of a prophet to be crucified. Can you think that when we say that God was crucified, what the Muslims think about that? Oh, yeah, they get all... Not a fan. <laughs> These Muslims, by the way, they're getting angrier every time I run into them. They're like, oh, yeah, you're. Did I tell you the story about when we were in Jerusalem and the guy wanted me to read the creed there out of the free Quran he was giving me? Did I tell that story? No, no go ahead. And the, and the guy's like, hey, read this. And I'm like, I'm not going to read that. Because, you know, the Muslims think that if you confess, uh, what, what is their uh, little thing, that Allah is one and Muhammad is his prophet, you say those words and you, you become Muslim, automatic. Talk about magic. And so this guy gives out Qurans, and he opens the first page. He says, hey, read this. It's really beautiful. This is the basic tenet of Islam. And he can go and call up the whatever the Muslim version of a blaze is and <laughs> register a critical event, you know, because some punk walking through the city streets of Jerusalem read the first page of the Quran. Well, I said, I'm not going to say that. And he said, why not? And I said, because I'm baptized uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says, oh, 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 you believe in three gods. That's that's a blasphemy. You know, no, I, oh, you, you know that I don't believe in three gods. You're just, ugh. But these Muslims, man, pretty bad at that. You should have, you should have opened it up and started to read, but to change it and to say, um, Allah is not God and neither <laughs> is Muhammad is prophet. Oops. Allah is the moon, yeah, that's right. Allah is the moon god, also known as the devil. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. so that's a first commandment issue. Second yep. commandment, uh, in that here we are talking about the preaching, the preaching of Christ, and that comes at the the accommodation of of the of the Muslims, so that so that the preaching of Christ is not the exclusive preaching of Christ. It says, "I am the way, the truth, and life. No, no one comes to the Father except through me." What an uh, what an abuse of God's name. <laughs> Uh, and the third commandment, in that it's a, dealing with a worship space, a place where it ought to be, where the gospel is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered. Yeah. The 
fifth uh, fifth commandment that Muslims like to kill for jihad. <laughs> That's right. This is the jihad, sixth commandment. Dude. It's a lesbian bishop. <laughs> That's a. Sheesh. That's not just desecration. That's defilement. That's, you know, taking something that's not just common and making it unclean, but taking something that's holy and making it unclean. That's bad. Yep. Sixth commandment. Uh, about seven, eight. Uh, I don't know. What else? What else do you have? on? I that don't one? know. That's a, probably enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we can find. But this is just. A, now, here's the interesting thing about this, that there is a connection between, okay, well, let me ask this question. What would you think is the theological question from the fact that this is a uh, a lesbian bishop uh, asking the church to take down the crosses? She probably considers the Bible to be the in- inerrant, inspired word of God. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you cannot rightly exegete your own body, <laughs> which is sitting there telling you that you're a woman... How do you expect someone to rightly exegete the text, my friend? <laughs> All right, we have two minutes left, so we need to move on to your next one. Oh, I don't know if we have time for this. I'm a girl, headline, Denver, Colorado. Uh, an ongoing sin, uh, series called Transgender in Colorado. A teenager's announcement that she is transgender sent her family on a journey of faith and unconditional love. Vicky uh, K was about to shut off the lights for the night when her youngest child said to the sat in the family room chair beside her and spoke three words that would upend their lives. I'm a girl, said the 15 year old. She felt her stomach. Const- <laughs> Notice how it doesn't say 15 year old son. Like, yeah, that's right. You, like, you know, that's what it, but that would contradict the entire thing. But go ahead. Yep. Uh, from her seat on the tan couch, she was looking to the eyes of her son, huh? Oh, wondering what oops. she had missed. But she saved the freaking out for behind the closed bedroom door with her husband, Eric. A night later, when their teenager repeated the words to Vicky and Eric as they watched television, not far from the Bibles and theology texts that line the family bookshelf, Eric felt as if a train had knocked the wind out of his body. They were parents who went to focus on the family seminars and taught fathers to bond with their sons so they wouldn't turn out gay. <laughs> they opposed gay marriage and throughout transge- thought transgender children were under the influence of ultra-liberal parents who brainwashed them, etc., etc. Now, at the end of here, by the way, here's the, the very last paragraph. Uh, he, this guy, is on uh, the advisory board for the Boulder County Trans Youth Education and Support. He volunteers... Uh, except for something else. And he wrote a six-page letter to the theology headquarters of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod urging it to eliminate inflammatory words such as mutilate God's body from its gender identity guidelines. He wishes he could apologize to the gay community for, quote, being a jerk. Huh. I'm not sure what all that is about. Um, now, how old, how old was this boy? Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. Um... I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, say 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 what? Let's do this. Um, we need to finish out the radio side, and then we're gonna do a quick, quick, quick update on after this. So stay tuned. Right for this, you're listening to Table Talk Radio, where the points about how well we plan out the time for the show segments. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. 
Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. Okay, so um, this is this is the the struggle. Um, you have fifteen year olds, and and I have a personal friend that had told me about a coworker. Same thing with a twelve year old. A twelve year old announced to her that parents too. that it's a um, that, that she was a lesbian, and these these poor kids are living in this sexualized culture. They're that everything has to be sexualized. That that uh, they're, they're, I mean, can you think about a twelve-year-old trying to uh, talk about what we call sexual orientation? That doesn't even, doesn't even, uh, hasn't even. <laughs> I'm lost yeah. for words. I know it's not even even an adult yet. You don't, you haven't even entered the realm of the sixth commandment. Yes, yes. Um, and 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 these are these are going to be decisions that are life-lasting because, um. I mean, pretty soon we're going to start talking about people coming out of the closet into heterosexuality, you know, so that I, I was I announced to the world that I was gay, but then I realized I was heterosexual, so I came out of the closet. Right. Um, it's just insane. So, um, so first of all, we talk about that gender is established by anatomy. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, that that gender is not an internal thing, but an external thing. Yes. Um, I don't know. So if you want to know if you're a boy or a girl, you just can check. Yes, true. that tells you. Now, um, the problem is we we are now in the Gnostic mood, which is to make our outsides look like our insides, rather than the Christian idea, which is to make our insides look like our outsides. Now, we we think that it's it does more damage that your insides are unassailable, but your outsides are moldable. Well, no, that's going the wrong direction. So look, if your outsides tell you that you're a fella, then you gotta you gotta make the insides match. Or if they don't, you gotta commit to chastity. That's just that's it. Uh, now the struggle, I can't imagine this struggle where the insides and the outsides don't match up. You know, naturally, uh, and and I think that as the world continues to crumble, that this happens more. It's happening more often that the chaos. That is in the in the world on the outside just seeps in like a, a, a to the insides and, and disorders everything on the inside as well. Uh, but but the outside stands. That's created by God, and that tells you what you need to know. And we should say that though, in, in a world affected by sin, there are those who struggle. You know, they're, I mean, in the midst of this struggle. So this, so our kind of quip way of saying that hey, it's just you can just check um, is not to be um, not to be ignorant of the fact that this is a uh, a, a, a difficult thing, but in the idea of that struggle is the point that uh, one would confess that this is not uh, that their desires, their uh, feelings are not something from the Lord, but in fact sinful from their from the flesh. And uh, in confessing that, they find uh, nothing but mercy and forgiveness and and love from their Lord Jesus, uh, because. Uh, he is the one who has died for that person uh, and has died for those sins and died for those struggles and hardships. And uh, to confess those as sins is to confess uh, Jesus as their Savior, and uh, that is what the Christian life is all about. 
Okay, that's it for this edition of Table Talk Radio. Thanks for listening and tune again next time.